Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We magnify your name, O oh God. We exalt you, O oh God. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for how much you love me always. Always. Lord, in spite of myself, you love me always. Because of your faithfulness, because of your patience, your kindness and gentleness, Lord, you've given me so many times to get it right. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Lord, when I fail, you step right in to help me, Lord, to teach me, to grow me, Lord, to chastise me so that I'll do better the next time. Thank you for loving me that much, God. Lord, because you could just be indifferent and it could not make any difference. But when I mess up, you're right there to help me get it right. I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for not pulling back your hand. Thank you, God, for not leaving me on my own. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving me in the darkness. Thank you, God. 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 If it wasn't for your grace, God. Lord, I see the new mercies every day. I see the new mercies every day. And oh, Jesus. Through the disappointments, through broken hearts, through the angers, through fears, through doubts. Lord God, you're still right there. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, Lord, we've come into your house, Lord God to encourage and strengthen each other, Lord. But we know we need you to do that because there's only you speaking that's going to help someone's life. There's nothing no man or woman can do, can say that's going to change lives. It is your spirit, God, speaking to your people through your servant so that they would hear your voice. So Lord, get the flesh out of the way, get the man out of the way so that just you alone will be seen. Remove every distraction, Lord God, so that your name will be glorified here today. Bless your word, Lord God, and bless us, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I, I tell you, like, it's not too late to join the Bible study. We're in the 24th chapter of Matthew, so we're finally winding down after like three years, has it been? I remember when we started, I, uh, I was teasing Sister G and um, said that, well, maybe we'll get to the, the resurrection by Resurrection Sunday. That was like two and a half years ago. <laughs> so we might actually make it this time. We might, we might get close, at least close to it this year as possible. But this study of Matthew has, has been a, a course in discipleship for me. Understanding Jesus, our responsibility, our growth, our growth as his disciples, our authority and our responsibility. It's, 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 been, it's been a lesson in discipleship, how what the Lord would really expect of us. 
and how Jesus dealt with the circumstances and situations of his life. Woo. Yes. Woo. You know, I, I, before I preach that message, you, you think your job is hard. Talking about somebody who had a hard job. It's like, but he was the son of God. Yes, he is the son of God. But he was a man who lived by the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, hello. <laughs> We're the same flesh and blood as Jesus was. We have the same spirit because he gave it to us. See where I'm going with this? So you can't just like, oh, he was the son of God. That's why he was able. It's like, well, he gave us his spirit to live in us and indwell and empower us so that we may be able to fulfill what God requires. It's like, Pastor, you're going too far. It's like, well, you said he was his disciple. That's what you said. So that brings me to another one who is an example. We know Christ is the example, but as we look in the word, we see other examples of who followed Christ and what it looked like to follow Christ. So turn with me, please, to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Second Timothy 4, starting at the first verse. In the presence of God and of, his, of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am ready, already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. He wasn't talking about just leaving. He was talking about dying. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the, that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, Paul wrote this when he was in jail again. This is the second imprisonment. And this was right before he was actually killed. When Paul committed his life to Christ, he committed his whole life. He was all in. It wasn't a convenient kind of uh, following him. If it got bad, he still was going to follow him. If it was good, he still was going to follow him. So God used him greatly, but he also suffered greatly. Now, I, I heard what Deacon Diana said, because when you lay in there in the hospital and you can't breathe and your husband is a couple of floors away from you and he can't breathe and the doctor's telling you, well, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, but Lord, haven't I served you faithfully? Lord, haven't I ministered to your people? Haven't I given you love and respect and honor? 
Why in the world am I laying in this hospital bed wondering whether I'm going to get to go home? And I'm not talking about my heavenly home. How does this happen? Well, the Bible said that we would suffer. The Bible said that we would go through. But as you read the life and the testimony of those that came before us, one of the things you realize is that they learn to embrace the suffering because Christ suffered and continued to do what the father told him to do. The expectation is that we learn to embrace whatever comes in our lives and keep our minds focused still on what it is God wants us to do. So do we have that kind of commitment? Will we be able to say when it's all over, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Will we be able to face our death with confidence of the reward that's coming? Or is there a question? I, I was in a situation not too long ago where somebody was saying all manner of things about me and and challenging my character and my integrity for that matter. And I was able to listen to what the person was saying and like, there's something wrong with you. Because ain't nothing you saying is right. None of it. And even they claim that this might have been a revelation from God. I was like, are you kidding me? Because ain't nothing you saying is right. And I had full confidence, full confidence that nothing that they were saying was right. Why? Because I had done the work. It's like what we talked about in Sunday school today. If things have happened in your life, if you've never dealt with it, that stuff is still messing you up right now. That stuff is still controlling your thinking and your feeling and your actions right now. The only way to be free from those kind of things is if you actually stopped and did the work. So when this person is talking this stuff, I'm looking at them like, you're crazy. It's like, because I know I did the work and everything you're talking about is completely wrong. Completely. And I felt good about that because it's like, now, if I hadn't done the work, then I would have to, maybe I would have been challenged to listen to some of that nonsense. But when I know that I did the work, when I know that I have people in my life that if I slip, like, uh, bruh, or hun, <laughs> what's, what's, what's going on here? What's going on? And, and everybody know Mother Allen. Oh, Lord. <laughs> My mama still don't let me get away with stuff. <laughs> but I feel good because I know what God has done in my life and I know the people that God has put in my life so that if I, if I cross the line, they will, they will let me know. I became an intentional Christian. An intentional Christian. <laughs> We're going to look today and what it looks like to be an intentional Christian. But before we get to the intentional Christian, if there is an intentional Christian, is there an unintentional Christian? Or an accidental Christian? Is there? Well, I know for most of us, it's like, nah. Well, least of us are actual true disciples. We say, nah, but wait, what about Judas Iscariot? 
when you're talking about an unintentional Christian, someone who was just called a follower of Christ. Here's the thing. He was called by Jesus. He had a legitimate chance to follow Jesus. He had a legitimate chance to be part of something that would last through eternity. He had a legitimate chance. He actually lived among Christians. So you're talking about being unintentional? Well, you could have had a call from God and you could be living among Christians, but it's a social thing. It's opportunistic, not benevolent. So you ain't with those Christians because you're looking for opportunities to help somebody else. You're with them Christians because you're looking for opportunities of what you can get. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. See, but Judas also was involved in ministry. He went on missions trips. He was part of feeding the hungry. He was even the church treasurer. <laughs> now, you need to stop and think about that for a moment. When you're talking about an unintentional Christian, called, hanging around with the right folk, involved in ministry. Matthew 10, 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So he had spiritual gifts because when Jesus called them to him, he sent out 12. Judas was part of the 12. And he gave them authority to minister. So you're talking about this dude was out there ministering with the other apostles, with the same authority and power as the other apostles. How about that? Now, when Luke tells the story, he realized it was not just the 12, but it was a lot more of Jesus's disciples that went out also. And when the 72 returned, because it was a total of 72, they came back rejoicing, talking about even the demons submit. Isn't this something that the unintentional Christian got spiritual gifts? The unintentional Christian is going out on the mission trip. The unintentional Christian is helping other folk get saved. Oh, oh, oh. This unintentional Christian actually sat in Jesus's presence. He witnessed the compassion, the power and the wisdom of Christ. But he was not moved by the presence. He was not moved by the spirit of God, but he was an unintentional Christian. And I'm using Christian in the sense of what we use it now. Someone who says that they're a follower of Christ. Why is this such a big deal? Well, here's the most tragic part about unintentional Christians. They can be taken over by Satan. Led to betray Jesus for money. Now, and everybody know about those that, that will compromise ministry for the sake of putting a dollar in their pocket. This, this one was really crazy. This, this unintentional Christian taken over by Satan was led to lie to Jesus. How are you going to lie to Jesus? You've been watching this man for three and a half years. You watched him say to you and others and people, his followers and those that were folks, I know what you were thinking. Why are you thinking that in your heart? You've seen this happen and you thought, 
Well, what's it? Is it me? You can't be talking about me, Jesus. How did you think that you can lie to Jesus? But when the devil into you and you're an unintentional Christian, you start saying and doing things that make absolutely no sense at all. See, because this unintentional Christian is a very real person. It happens. And when we are not intentional, we can become unintentional. Any one of us. This unintentional Christian actually led a mob to Jesus. Now, look, 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 at look, just have you ever really just stopped and walked through that scenario? This man had been with Jesus all of this time out on the mission trip. You the church treasurer. You doing all of these things. And you you sat there. You let the man wash your feet. And then you go and you make a deal with these guys that wanted to kill them. Now, you watched him put all of these people in their place, too. You heard the woes. You were there and you heard the woes. And the very same people that you're telling the woes to, you're going to go back to them and you're going to sell Jesus out to them. And then here you come with a mob and had the nerve to kiss him. The unintentional Christian. The one that's just hanging around. The one that's just going on the missions trips. The one that just happened to have spiritual gifts. The one that's casting out demons. The one that's doing a whole bunch of talking. But that unintentional Christian also was led to take their own life. And to die in misery. And it, it was mentioned earlier, but this is the trick of the enemy. He'll get you to do something and then he'll condemn you for doing the thing he got you to do. Is he the one whispering? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's all right. It's not that bad. God don't mind. It's all right. Did God really say he'll, he'll, he'll be the one that's telling you that? Then after you do it, look at you. You're dirty. You're no good. You're rotten. You're horrible. There's no reason for you to continue to live. Both voices are his. Some people just like. Because I, I want you to think about the, the fact that the devil told you to do something. You listen to the devil. And then after you did it and then you was feeling bad, then their voice of condemnation came. That wasn't God that was condemning you. That voice of condemnation didn't come from God. That's still the same devil that was telling you to do it to begin with. Lord Jesus. These unintentional Christians, these are the people that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And I'm going to read it to you because I want you to hear it. Matthew 7, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many, now that got me, verse 22, many, not some, not a few, not occasionally, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then verse 23 says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. So you got to have prophecy. You got to have laying on hands and casting out demons. 
You got to go to the miracle working service. You can. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with prophecy. I don't think there's nothing wrong with casting out demons. But demons, not bad attitudes. If you got a bad attitude, don't blame a demon. That's just you. And miracles, we all can use a miracle when we need a miracle. I have no issue with the supernatural gifts and what God does. But when that's what you're chasing after, well, the person that was caught up in all of that stuff did not have a relationship with Jesus. And they end up being called by the Lord himself an evildoer. See, this is not an interpretation. This is not additional revelation from Paul or for Peter or from John. This is Jesus making this statement. This is what happens to unintentional Christians. So how do we keep from falling to the same fate? Be an intentional Christian. Be an intentional Christian. And that brought me to our brother Paul. Now, Paul, Paul was as human as you can get. And for those that don't realize that, Paul was as human as you could get. That brother, his personality was just blasting through. Everything he does, you hear Paul in it. But you knew he was being used by God. But how did he become an intentional Christian? First thing, that his call was life-changing. When the Lord stepped into his life, his life changed. It was not just something that happened on a Sunday morning. It wasn't just a feel-good message from the preacher. He didn't just come running to the altar. He didn't have some deacon pushing him in the back saying, you need to get saved. It was the Lord that stepped in and changed his life. Everything about what he wanted, what he thought, changed the moment he met Jesus. Ah, God. See, he got knocked off his horse. So the thing he was riding to get him to where he wanted to go, he couldn't ride it no longer. For the spirit of the living God stepped in and said, that horse can't take you where you got to go. Knocked him on the ground, laid out before, could not see anything anymore. When the spirit of the living God stepped in, he couldn't see the world the way he used to see the world. His natural eyes was blinded so his spiritual eyes could be open. That's how you become an intentional Christian is that your relationship, that time when you got introduced to the Lord, need to have been life changing. If you just came to the altar and just said some pretty words because that's what your mama said you should do. That's what your daddy told you you should do. That's what the preacher said. Then you may not be an intentional Christian. He was challenged by Jesus. See, intentional Christians are challenged by Jesus. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goat. You, man, you know you, what you're doing ain't going nowhere. But when you're an intentional Christian, you've had that experience where you've been challenged by Jesus about what you're doing, how you live in your life. What are you putting your energy into? If you're an intentional Christian, it is not something that just happens by itself because you can't just be an, a, a an intentional Christian by osmosis. That's how you end up being unintentional. Jesus had something to say about what he was doing. Jesus spoke directly in his life about who he was, his mission, his purpose, his destiny, his heart, his thinking. Jesus has something to say. If you're going to be an intentional Christian, have you had that experience where Jesus got something to say about what you think, about what you feel, about where you're going, what your purpose, what your destiny is? Have you had that experience? 
Because that's what it means to be an intentional Christian. Intentional Christians get assigned mentors. See, once Paul got blinded, they had to lead him around. They took him to the people that were going to teach him what it meant to follow Jesus. They were going to teach him what it meant about who Jesus really was. Now, he heard about Jesus, obviously. He knew about Jesus' followers, but he did not know Jesus. So even after that initial confrontation from the Lord himself, where his life and destiny was changed, he still needed to be taught. So if you think you're an intentional Christian and you don't have no mentors, you don't have nobody that's grabbing you by the hand and showing you what it means to serve the Lord. Because there's so many people out there. Well, the Holy Spirit It's like, yeah, I understand about the Holy Spirit. But where did the Bible ever, ever say that you can serve the Lord by yourself? It's just you and the spirit of God. We need each other. We need, ah, God, we need each other. I need to learn from you. You need to learn from me. We need to have somebody in our life who is older, wiser, more mature, more developed than we are to help us and bring us along, to show us the things that we have not learned on our own. Now, we have the spiritual gifts and we have the power of the Holy Ghost, but we need each other. That's the way God designed it from the beginning, that we would need each other, that we would depend on each other, that we would help and encourage and strengthen each other. Nobody is talking about they know all of this stuff cause just because God told me. It's unwise and it's unsafe. So if you're an intentional Christian, do you have a mentor? Do you have a mentor, someone that taught you what it meant to serve Jesus? Ah, God. And, you know, no matter how old you get, there should be somebody. No matter what level of responsibility you have in the church, there should be somebody. Pastors who don't have pastors are in trouble. Let me say it again. Pastors who don't have pastors are in trouble. And I'm talking about a pastor that know your name. Not just see you on a list. <laughs> I'm, oh, Lord. Okay. I'm just glad I have a pastor that know my name. I got his cell number. He got mine. If I send him a question, he sends me an answer. And you're talking about a man who actually who, who actually has ministries all over the world that he's responsible for all over the world. But if I send him a text, he sends me an answer. If I send him an email, he sends me an answer because I have a pastor. I cannot emphasize the importance enough of if you're an intentional Christian, there's got to be somebody that's leading you. There's got to be someone that's teaching you. And after you're led, after you're taught, guess what? If you're an intentional Christian, you need to be using your spiritual gifts on purpose. You think about Paul. See, he just got saved. But he started telling people about his experience. So he didn't know about all the theological stuff. But he knew I was riding on a horse and I got knocked off. He knew that this Jesus 
that they crucified. I saw, I saw him. I saw, I saw him. I actually saw this Jesus that they crucified. So all these stories about him coming back to life, it must be true because I saw myself with my own eyes. So he didn't have nothing else, but he was able to talk. Why? Because before he got saved, he was talking. He was a scholar. He was a, teach, a teacher. He was an intellect. That's who he was. So the same things, the same gifts that you had, that after you got saved, that should be your natural inclination on how you're going to serve the Lord. Whatever you was doing before saved, before you got saved and you was good at, now after you met Jesus, those things should be coming into play if you're an intentional Christian. If you're good at numbers, then now your numbers is, is, is now sanctified. If you see the money going crazy, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Because before I got saved, if I saw the money going crazy, somebody going to have to give me some answers. <laughs> so after I got saved, it's like, oh, no, we ain't going to do that to the Lord's house. I care about the numbers. What do you mean the Orange and Rockland wasn't paid? Uh-uh, give me them books. <laughs> give, me, give me those books because something is wrong. The thing you naturally did. Because before you got saved, if you were singing to the temptations, then after after you got saved, you should be singing to the glory of God. Because that same voice that God had given you, that same gift that you had all along, then if you're an intentional Christian, you got to find a way to take the thing that you do and use it for the honor and glory of God. If you're an intentional Christian. Because there had to be something that you did well. Even before you got saved, something. Oh, so now if you're still just doing all of that for you and not for God, well, you might be an unintentional Christian. Intentional Christians, commitment has to be observed and proved. If you're an intentional Christian, then you can watch me if you want to. Because if you're an intentional Christian, you're living for the Lord on purpose. So someone on the outside is like, oh, yeah, he, he really believed this. Yeah, yeah, she really believed this. But if you're an intentional Christian, it can be observed and it can be proved just by the way that you're living your life. And that's not talking about you got to be perfect in everything that you do, because we talked about this earlier. If I messed up, the intentional Christian is like, oh, man, 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 how, how I messed that up again. Jesus. Help me. That's an intentional Christian. Not that you never mess up, not that nothing ever goes wrong. But when you do, you make a point of trying to get it right as soon as you can, because it's not all right to just be wrong. If you're an intentional Christian. So if you're an intentional Christian, you can get to the point where you in jail again. (laughs) Knowing they get ready to chop your head off. And you're like, but I fought the good fight. I've run my race. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That's all it is. Now my life is just a drink offering before the Lord. You can get to the place where that's the way you're living. Because like whatever happens, it's all for the glory and honor of God. Because I know that I've done what God asked me to do the best I know how to do it every day with all of my heart. That's just the way it's been. Ups and downs, goods and bads. I know that my life is being spent intentionally for the Lord. So what's the conclusion here? Well, 
If you're not an intentional Christian, you're not a Christian at all. Christians are disciples of Christ. Disciples of Christ. If you are not a disciple of Christ, then you are not a Christian. And being a disciple of Christ is being able to see a man that gave his life for us. Being an intentional Christian, you've got to be able to, I'm committed to a man who said, I'm going to let you spit on me. I'm going to let you slap me. I'm going to let you rip the skin off my back. I'm going to let you strip me naked. I'm going to let you nail me to a cross. I'm going to let you do these things. And then still say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the man who we've committed our lives to. And if we are his disciples, then our point is to be able to live the way he lived, to live with those same goals of reaching the state of where he said. Now, now I know don't 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 get crazy, y'all. Don't 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 just turn off to me now because it's like, Pastor, are you trying to tell me that your goal is to get nailed to a cross? No. I'm not telling you that at all. At all. I'm more God in the Gethsemane. Father? If there's a way for this not to happen, can we do something else? So I'm still spending some time in the garden. I don't know. The, the rest of y'all, I don't know. But am I saying that, well, that's got to be, you, you, you just got to want that or let that happen. I'm saying that our goal is to be the person that will do whatever God says to do, however that looks. Our goal is the person to be able to lay there in that hospital bed and still want to join service on your iPad. That's our goal. Ha, God. Ha, God. Our goal is that I want to get better. I got to get out of here. I don't want, I I, I can't just stay and lay and die. We got, our goal has got to be that person. Our goal has got to be the guy that says that, no, I don't want to just, I don't want to just ride on the fact that God loves me. I don't want to just sit with, oh, well, he loves me, so it don't matter. It's like, no, I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to upset him. I don't want to make God cry when he looks at me. I don't want him to be sad when he looks at my life. That's our goal. So I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to make God cry the whole time. I don't want him to look at my life and say, my son, my son, please. You don't know how I desire to gather you close to me, to hold you as a hen holds their chick. You don't know how much you mean to me. We don't want to live our lives like that. That's our goal. And if it means that I'm going to be persecuted, and talked about and lied on and blamed for everything that goes wrong. And no matter how much you do, then you get blamed for what you didn't do. If that's what it takes in order to do what God has called me to do, that's what it takes. That's what it means to be an intentional Christian. Now, if we were confused 
about it. Matthew 24, 12 through 13 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. One of the great things that the Lord has done for us, he gave us an ordinance that we call communion. It is the time that we look at whether we're the unintentional Christian or not. Because remember, the unintentional Christian sat at Jesus's table. The unintentional Christian dipped his bread with Jesus and had the nerve to say, but are you talking about me? Yes. It's like, you know, I'm talking about you. Go do what you got to do. Ah, God. When we have communion, we need to put ourselves in that place of sitting at that table with Jesus. Are we the intentional or the unintentional Christian? When we're sitting at that table and the, we're talking about the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord, when we're talking about what he did so that we might be saved, when we're talking about the new covenant that was written in his blood, are we the intentional or the unintentional Christian? Because the unintentional took communion, ate that last supper with Jesus also. So bow your heads for me. Paul said, for whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we judge, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So as often as we have communion, the Lord gives us an opportunity to stop and say, are you an unintentional Christian or an intentional Christian? Are you following me because you had a life changing experience and you understand who I really am and what I have done for you? Are you following me because of that? Or is it just a social thing? Is it just about what you can get? Is it a way for you to make some money? What is it about? It's an opportunity for each of us to examine ourselves. Now, when I was growing up, they would say, well, if you did something wrong, don't don't do communion. Don't do you. You're going to be condemned. Well, I, I my theology is a little bit different. If it's time for communion and you realize you've something wrong, repent. Yeah. 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 He said, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged with the world. So if I've judged myself, if I've drawn the distinction between what I'm doing and what I shouldn't be doing, I have an opportunity to repent so that I could be at Jesus' table. Can you imagine if the unintentional Christian has said, Lord, I messed up. I messed up. I went and I made a deal with these folk and I don't lie to you and I'm lying to your face. If he would have repented. But he wanted to repent after the judgment had already come. No, when the judgment comes, there ain't no repentance. It's done. 
So we get the opportunity right now. Right now. So we say, Lord, we come before you now. We bow our hearts and minds before your throne, almighty God. We open up all that we are to your presence, almighty God. Lord, we lay ourselves bare before you. And if there's anything that would stand in the way of us being able to commune with you, to sit at your table intentionally on purpose, God, we're asking that you would just forgive us now. Show us what we've done so we can say sorry, Lord. Lord, there's nothing in this world. There's nothing that's been done to us. There's nothing that we've done that we will allow to stand in between us and you, almighty God. So we humble, ah, God, we humble ourselves before you, God, depending on your mercy and your grace, Lord God. You know us in our inside and out, Lord. You know the sorrow we feel for what we've done wrong. And we just ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We ask for your cleansing and for your freedom, Lord, so that we can sit at your table unburdened, Lord. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy. We receive your presence right now, Lord God. Ha! Jesus. Hallelujah. We know that you died so that we would be free. You died so that we can have a relationship with the Father. We know that you did. And we know that you rose from the grave so that we can live in life and in power. And we thank you. We thank you, Father. The Bible tells us that on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. And as often as you eat it, you do in remembrance of me. Shall we all eat together? The Bible tells us also that after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I, I, I really so much appreciate this new covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We, that, that, we don't have to have any distance between us and the presence of God because of the new covenant. Because the lamb was slain and took away the sins of the world. The, the, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom so that we could just step in. We don't have to be, ah, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to worry about whether we stepped on a gnat. We, we, ah, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And often, as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. Shall we all drink together? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Lord, we will live as intentional Christians. Our service of you is going to be on purpose, Lord God. 
Our lives are going to be on purpose, Lord God. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to have your heart. We want to minister in your name. We want people to be saved and we will do it on purpose, God. So bless us, strengthen us, challenge us and keep us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.